Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Hang on. There we go. All right. We've got a couple. We've got a whole list of things for you to discuss this evening. Um, I do have have a couple of technical issues we're dealing with on Facebook Live. We'll get that up and running just as fast as we can. Uh, But in the meantime, there's so much to talk about. Oh, my good Lord. It's been one of those weeks. Let me start off by telling you the... um, um, about our trip to the Governor General's office, my wife and I. Uh, actually, it was my wife who was invited. I got lucky, and she asked me to go with her, is how that all played out. Now, first of all, anytime you get invited to Rideau Hall, no matter what you think of the current government, because this is almost, well, I won't say above politics, but it, it's the kind of thing that comes from, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It happened, let me put it to you this way. We got the invitation, and we weren't sure exactly how it happened. Because we're just a couple, you know, simple hillbillies from Killaloot living out in the country. And I could not, for the life of me, figure out how uh, that was all supposed to work. Like, where did? why would we get invited to the opening of the Queen's Doors, which is a fancy way of saying they put new doors, they design new doors for the front of Rideau Hall. And they are the doors the Queen walks through when she enters her Canadian residence, which is what Rideau Hall is. It's where the Governor's General lives when he's in, you know, when uh, that's his official residence. But when the Queen shows up, he gets bumped. Now, I'm sure she has her own quarters and all that sort of thing inside the hall. But the point I'm making is they called it the Queen's Doors, and it was a big deal. Uh, Princess Prince Charles and Lady Camilla were there, and we went to this thing, and it was it was really a, an entertaining, um, an entertaining evening from a lot of different perspectives. They had all kinds of fun stuff um, that was uh, planned for us. There was a, a marching, uh, um, a military marching band that came from Toronto, from the Royal Regiment of Canada. I made the mistake later of accusing them of being from the Royal Canadian Regiment. And they point out very quickly that, no, that's not true. They're a reserve unit out of Toronto. So with that said, what happened then was that we were, um, how do I put it? 
we were just kind of mystified. I mean, we met some great people. There was about 300 people there, and everybody from the chief of defense staff was there to all kinds of heads of charities. I mean, this was the cream of Ottawa, um, of the Ottawa elite, okay? And here we are, a couple of people from the middle of nowhere, um, as for all intents and purposes. <laughs> Excuse me. rubbing shoulders with these people who do not move, like we don't move in their circles normally, okay? They have a different lifestyle. They have a different group that they associate with. Like in in amongst them all, they were saying, oh, nice to see you, Charles, or hey, Veronica, you look wonderful this evening. Nice to see you. Saw you, you know, six months ago at this fundraiser, whatever. All that kind of thing was going on, and here we are in the middle of it all. So we met we met some people and we had a great time. It was all lots of fun. That was great. Um, but at the same time, we're still scratching our head going, how did this happen? What made this possible? So to, 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 cut, to make a long story short, when the evening was over and we're on our way out, I stopped and I asked one of the staff, one of the pages uh, who was working with the, um, uh, you know, who was working in the building. And I said, I don't mean to seem ungrateful. Please don't think that. Um, um, you know, we're very glad to be here, but I'm just wondering where the invite came from because I'm a little mystified about how that all happened. And the page said, well, you see that lady over there in the pink? You go and talk to her, and she will tell you how it happened because that's what her job is. She's got a list of all the guests and who's supposed to be there and who invited them and the whole thing. So I went over and I said the same thing to her. You know, not seeming ungrateful. Uh, you know, we're, we're certainly, it was a great evening. And she said, what's your name? So I told her. And she looked down. She said, yes, I remember. Your wife, Allison, was asked for specifically by Lady Camilla Bowles. Lady Camilla Bowles asked for Allison specifically because she likes charities that deal with veterans using horses. And she wanted Allison to be here tonight. So I went outside because Allison was standing outside. The, the, I was going to go get the car, bring it up so you know she didn't have to walk too far. And all of a sudden, well, I tell her this, and she looks at me and she says, baloney. Well, that's not the word she used. But she's, <laughs> bovine excrement was a better descriptor. But I don't, she basically said, I don't believe you. I do not believe you. I do not believe for a second that that's true. So anyway... Um, Long story short, uh, that's what <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> that's who invited Allison, and Allison, of course, said, "Can I bring a guest?" And I got lucky, and along came, along she came. Um, so I went outside, and when I was outside, I, I said to her, "Okay, if you don't believe me, come here." And I marched her back in and stood her in front of the same woman who had just told me what had happened, and she repeated it almost word for word. And my wife just stood there gobsmacked. She had no idea, none, that this was going to happen. She had no idea that the royal family knows about this little charity, well, charity organization out in the Ottawa Valley, you know, 6,000 miles from, the, from Buckingham Palace, that these people are aware of what she's doing and think it's a good thing. So much so that the Lady Camilla herself asked for Allison to be in attendance. That was just 
blew her mind, blew, blew my mind too. So I'm very proud of what my wife does, and I'm very proud to support her in any way I can. And to be able to go with her and be part of that was an honor. I just, you know, we'll, we won't forget. We've got the invite and this, the, the special thank you card that came later, uh, all that stuff. And it was, the food was unbelievable. It was just, it was an incredible evening. So no matter what you think of the Royals, it doesn't really matter. From this For this particular situation, it was just, I can't even tell you what it was like. It was just amazing. So um, I'm sitting here, and I'm still running out of words trying to trying to tell you what that evening was like. The whole way home, she was just kind of quiet, didn't say a lot, and it was sinking in. And, you know, it was just a remarkable, remarkable night. So it was... Um, it was certainly well worth the trip, I'll tell you that much. And um, it will never happen again, that's for sure, because you only have one hundred and fifty one one hundred and fiftieth birthday. And so the opportunity to be included in that was quite an honor, and we certainly appreciated that. All right. Now, we've got Facebook Live up and running, uh, so that's good. Um, okay, there we go. So I certainly hope for those of you on Facebook, uh, you can join us over there. Uh, I I like to keep this uh, open as uh, to as many different listeners as possible. All right, let's get back to some of the other stuff that's going on. And, you know, it's too bad that we have to go from one extreme to the other. The top story in my mind, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, I'm just looking for it. Uh, do, where did it go? Do, here we are. All right, well, we all know about... If you don't know by now that Justin Trudeau is apologizing on your behalf to a treasonous terrorist, Omar Cotter. And not only is he apologizing on your behalf, he's paying him ten and a half million dollars. Ten and a half million of your dollars, your tax dollars, not Trudeau's money. He's not reaching into his own pocket for this. This is coming out of our pocket. And he's given it to this slug. As far as I'm concerned, he should have been arrested when he, uh, when he set foot in Canada, when he came back from Guantanamo Bay. We should have said, welcome home, um, welcome home, Omar. Come with us, slap on the irons, and throw him in the pen and leave him in, iso- in, in isolation for the rest of his natural life. Just, I got no time for traitors. I got no time for terrorists. We don't owe this guy a dime. You know... The thing that makes me angry about it isn't just that Trudeau doesn't seem to care about the consequences of what he's doing. Look at what the people who, uh, you know, the terrorists out there who want to to, uh, do harm to us, how are they going to view this? And how do we know for sure that this $10.5 million, or at least a good chunk of it, doesn't end up funding terrorism in some other corner of the world and maybe come back to haunt us? How do we know that? We don't. We have no way of knowing it. Now, there is something Trudeau could do if he felt like making this happen. Okay? If he wanted to do that, here's what he does. He says, Omar, I'm really sorry you're a jerk. I mean, uh, I'm really sorry you're a traitor. I mean, uh, you're a tra- No. If he wants to hand out a $10.5 million check on our behalf, then send it to Tabitha Spears, the wife of the medic who was who Omar Cotter killed. 
She sued him for $132 million in the States and won. And now she's applying to sue him in Canada. And I hope to God she wins. I hope she takes every penny. Because I could live with that. If you're going to pay restitution for anybody out of this mess, pay it to the family the man that this guy killed. That's who you pay it to. You don't pay it to some bozo. Some <sighs> Bozo is too kind of word for him. But when I read that, I thought, look, it's bad enough that we have a prime minister who's nothing but a boy king. It's bad enough that we have somebody out there who doesn't care one way or another about how our money is spent, throws it around like, remember $250 million to third world uh, uh, Middle Eastern countries that we'll never see again, not a dime of? Remember that? I do. And yet at the same time, we have veterans who have lost limbs fighting for their country. The biggest reward I've heard or award that I've heard about was $22,000 for a man who lost both legs. $22,000 is nothing. Nothing compared to $10.5 million for the guy who would have gladly blown his legs off, if not worse. So this kind of stuff, I'm telling you, it's enough to make you weep. Look, organizations, and I'm plugging my wife here, okay? I'll, I'll be honest. Um, War Horse is a charity that runs most of the time on a shoestring budget. They have they put in a lot more hours than they ever get paid for. It's a not-for-profit. I mean, and I can tell you from firsthand experience how much work it is because I watched my wife organize this, put it together, and her team, she's a clinical psychologist that works with her. She has um, people who know the, the horse end of things, work with her, and their team is amazing and has an incredible impact on the lives of the people who go through that program. And they are having trouble struggling one course to the next to come up with funding. Now, I'm not suggesting she get $10 million. Now, if the government wanted to give her $10 million, we wouldn't turn it down. But how about 100000 Put it into an organization that actually has cares about the people that we put in uniform and send in harm's way. And we're not the only organization out there that could have used that money. What about take it take it outside the military for a minute? We have a case of elder abuse. Why? Because staff are overworked and underpaid in our uh, in our old age system, if you want to call it that. You know, we're, there's cases like my wife was really lucky. She worked in in uh, uh, a retirement home in Barry's Bay, and it's a great place. Um, Valley Manor is a great place. They have caring staff. I've been in there many times myself, and it's a wonderful place. But not every place is like that. There's the latest case. There was a video that the family took through a, through a webcam or something like that. They put a camera in the room, and they caught one of the, the caregivers physically assaulting their loved one in the old age home. Now, look, if you're 85 or 90, you're not 20 anymore. It's not like you can defend yourself. What about taking some of that money? And putting it into more staffing, better training, better facilities. I mean, $10 million wouldn't solve the whole problem, but it would go a long way. And it's certainly a lot better giving it to the slug Omar Cotter. This stuff makes me so angry I can hardly even think straight, because, not only because we're giving it to a terrorist, but because it could go to so many other good places. 
So with the, the same thing with that $250 million he threw away. Think of all the organizations. Think of the different uh, hospitals, frontline staff that are understaffed and overworked. You know, the burnout rate amongst doctors and nurses must be incredible. I have at least two personal friends who are doctors, and they work like dogs. And both of them tell me they, if they had to do it over again, would not become general practitioners. The workload is not worth the money. When you go to a doctor, you have to have, you, you can only go in and see him about one thing. You can't say, well, you know, doc, my shoulder's bugging me, and I got this cough, and I can't seem to do, well, one thing at a time. Let's deal with one thing at a time. He's doing that not because he doesn't care about your shoulder or your cough. It's because that's all he can bill you for. They are rationing the health care. $10 million? Are you kidding me? All right. I'm going to calm out down, and I'm going to put my head in a bucket of ice and cool off a little bit because my dander's starting to get up. I'm going to play a couple of commercials, and then we'll be right back with more on the Nick at Night Show right after this. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspect distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. Yeah, that's the old saying, the best things in life are free. I don't know about that. Some of them are. There's no doubt about that. All of them? Uh, that's a different story. All right. Um, let me get, dive right back in here. So that that's the, the thing that got me just riled up this this week was of all the outrageous things that happened. And there were a lot of them. Believe me. there were. We had a schmozzle here in, in Ottawa um, on Canada Day. They've had, you know, it's not like this was a surprise event. Security what took, well, we all know the horror stories. Five and a half hours to get on the hill. One food vendor on the hill, no bathroom facilities, no refreshment facilities for those who had to stand in line. You know, it was just absolutely botched from every every way you looked at it. And a couple of people, a couple of letters I read and a couple of phone calls I heard into terrestrial radio uh, were made like, why didn't they check with Toronto, who hosts large events like this all the time? Why didn't they check with them? And when it comes to security, let me ask you this. Because, look, I'm, I understand the need for security, especially if you have a half a million people in a concentrated place with what's going on in the world these days. I understand the need for security. Okay? It's not that I don't get it. But here's the part that I think uh, needs 
needs to be asked. Why? Who? Let me ask you this. Who do you think is the best, the best group of people in the world, in the world, to go and talk to about security when it comes to the threat of terrorism? Who is it? Well, the answer is simple. It's the Israelis. They. When's the last time you heard of some kind of terrorist attack in Israel, other than rockets coming over, and even then they're doing a good job picking a lot of those off, but they're still the threat, of course. But there hasn't been an attack on LL Airlines, the Israeli airlines, in years. Why? Do you think that the people who, who don't like Israel have given up? No. It's because the Israelis are the world's best at ferreting out those who have malicious intent without making it impossible to move for everybody else. So why would you not go to the Israeli embassy right here in Ottawa and say to the Israelis, uh, look, you know what's going on. We have this big event coming. We'd like you to tell us what you would do to handle security in this scenario. And then listen to them. There's nobody better on the planet at this than they are. You want to protect Canadians? If you take it seriously, if you were to have a heart operation, wouldn't you go find the best thoracic surgeon you could find? If you were going to go get your car fixed and you want it done right, you go talk to the best mechanic you can find. If you were going to have a boat built, would you go to the guy that recycles cardboard? Or would you go to a uh, you know somebody who's has a great reputation and builds amazing boats, things like that? It's like anything else. This is a service. So go find the best provider of that service and draw from it. And yet here we sat, and we have totally embarrassed ourselves. The NCC, the city of Ottawa, all the organizers totally embarrassed this country on our 150th anniversary. On our 100, we get one shot at this, and they botched it. They really, and then somebody had the gall to blame um, Princess, Princess, uh, Prince Charles and Lady Camilla. I think it was the head of the transit commission here in Ottawa who said that. That Oh, well, their motorcade jammed up trap. No, 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 no. You've known they've been coming for months. Don't give me that. If that's the best you can come up with as an excuse, then you ought to resign. Because you're acting like an idiot. You're sounding like an idiot. You know, if you act like an idiot and you sound like an idiot and you behave that way, maybe you need to find a new line of work. So... It was. I know there were there were people saying, you know, we had friends come up from Ottawa, or come to Ottawa, from all over the world, not just the United States. From they came here because Canada is supposed to be a great place to come and visit, and we're going to make them stand in the rain for five and a half hours to listen to Bono sing one song. He's not even a Canadian artist. I'd have rather I would have rather had Buddy What's His Name and the Other Fellers, and yes, that's a real band. Go look it up. They're funny as they're they're hilarious. I'd rather have them get up on Parliament Hill than I would Bono. You know, we've got so much Canadian talent. Why in God's name would we go and get somebody who's not even Canadian and then we pay him and you don't think for a second Bono came for free? You know he got paid a ton of money for that. For one song. So what's up with that? Anyway, it was a total and unmitigated disaster. And you know something? At the same time, while all that's going on, there's a couple things that have been going on 
Uh, well, first, before I get to that, yes, NDP have taken over BC. God help them all. Um, where the heck did it go? Yeah, we'll get to that later. Uh, there's the Cotter story. Where the heck did it go? I know it's here. I'll just keep... Oh, yes, this story. You know, I, I, <laughs> it's a good thing I don't have high blood pressure. Because if I did, I'm not sure I would survive. Oh, by the way, I've completely forgot two things. For one thing, I wanted to thank Chance Turcott for his technical assistance earlier today uh, in help setting up um, um, Facebook Live. And we're trying to f uh, have ways to make it work better and be more entertaining. And there's still a, a bug or two to work out, but we'll get it. We, we almost had it tonight. I thought we had it tonight, but I screwed up on my end. So that's why there was a little bit of a, 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 um, a blur, a, a little hiccup to the beginning of the show because I was panicking going, ah, it didn't work. So, because I forgot what to do. So it's not his fault at all. Anyway. Um, so thank you, uh, Chance. He does run a uh, computer service business up there in Pembroke. Up, if you're up in the Valley, uh, his information is posted on my webpage. If you want to go and have a look at that. And if there's anything he can help you with, he can do it over the phone or he can do it in person, whatever, whatever suits you. But, uh, I don't mind patronizing local businesses and I encourage people to do it, especially and Turk, believe me, Chance is great. Um, he just, I was trying to keep up because it's one of those things where he takes over your computer remotely and he's doing things I didn't know the computer was able to do and downloading things and doing all kinds of stuff behind the scenes. And all you tech guys know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm just not one of them. Anyway, so thanks, Chance. I really appreciate that. Now, um, the other thing I need to do is give out the phone numbers for those of you online and for those of you listening to Facebook, uh, 343-700-4390. 844-562-4766. I think I have the bug figured out uh, or fixed. Uh, we had a couple weeks ago where we couldn't hear the phone calls on Facebook that were coming in online, and I think that was my fault because I had the, the cord from the laptop to the mixer board plugged into the wrong jack. Well, I got that fixed. So that was, oh, believe me, that was stretching my technical abilities. All right, now, that said... Oh, I, 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 this kind of stuff. Remember, I, I posted something on Facebook about a guy by the name of, uh, he's an NDP MP called Saganash. Uh, he is from a riding out in British Columbia. Um, does he have a free, Romeo, that's his first name. He's an NDP. I'm just trying to see if I can find his uh, riding. Anyway, he wrote a piece in the Globe and Mail, which I thought was hugely insulting. And he said that, oh, Canada is such a terrible place, I find no reason to celebrate Canada Day. And I thought that was pretty ungrateful. We spend $9 billion a year on the, uh, uh, on the native file in this country. We still have people living in squalor, not because we're not spending enough money, because some of the banshees, and look, I'm not painting with too broad a brush here. I recognize the fact that there's some people out there, there's some... Uh, reserves and probably a lot of them that are very well run okay and take great pride in what they've been able to accomplish on those reserve on those reserves okay some of them have casinos uh, they have great employment opportunities for youth they're the way a reserve should be run but there's some of them like Attawapiskat and I forget the name of the other one there's there's two that everybody points to right off the bat uh, but anyway those two uh, the other one's on the tip of my tongue and I can't think of it Anyway, they have um, all kinds of problems um, with uh, bad water, mold, third world conditions, in other words. If you're not in with the band, 
if you're not from the right side of the track, if the if the chief and the band council don't like you, you live in third world conditions. Okay, Attawapiskat's a famous classic example for that. And why? Nine billion dollars a year we spend on this. So over ten years, think of this, because everybody says nine billion a year, but they don't know what the they never stop to think of what that means over the long haul. In ten years at nine billion a year, and you know it goes up every year. We have spent ninety nine zero billion dollars on these people, and we still have people living in squalor. Explain how that's how, how that's possible. So this guy comes out and says, "Well, there's nothing good about Canada. It's all all we were. Our ancestors were treated terribly, and all that stuff." And I'm thinking to myself, just exactly how much money do we have to spend and how many times do we have to apologize before you finally say, okay, we're satisfied now? When do we get to get off the hook for the sins of our forefathers? And don't think for a second that your forefathers were angelic either. Because one of the things Mr. Saganash, I wonder if he's ever thought about what would happen. And now I'm not trying to, to sanitize history. It is what it is. Okay? Yes, there were bad things done in the name of the crown both here and in the United States. Far more, far worse in the United States than here, but we're not innocent either. Okay, I'm not trying to sanitize history. But if you look at the greater picture, when Cartier and Cabot and those people in the 1490s and 1500s came to North America, the natives were living in the Stone Age and had been for 10,000 years. They hadn't even invented the wheel yet. So... If we hadn't shown up, what do you think the chances are that they would have advanced to where we are today in 500 years when they hadn't moved an inch in 10,000? I'm not putting them down. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they're terrible people or anything like that. I'm just looking at the historical facts. Okay? If it hadn't been for European influence and all the technological advances it brought, they'd still be living in wigwam, in in, in teepees and in, in birch bark, um, what do they call them? Uh, not, yeah, wigwams and, and sweat lodges and all that stuff. You know, they'd be dying at 45 years old from indoor air pollution because they have to cook over smoky fires inside their teepees in the wintertime, freezing to death, starving to death, going to war with each other. Sounds a lot like the rest of humanity, doesn't it? So, yes, there were evil things that came with Europeans, smallpox, all kinds of stuff. But there were a lot of good things, too. And I don't see any of them saying, you know what, we're going to forsake all this modern stuff, and we're going to go back to the way it was in 1497, and we're going to live that way. I could respect that. But you know something, and the reason I bring him up is because this guy not only makes $167,400 a year because he's an MP in British Columbia, and that's an MP, Canadian MP salary, so he's complaining what he's doing is biting the hand that feeds him. He's making $170,000 a year and then telling us how terrible we are for paying him. Oh, you're all just a bunch of horrible people. Not So he met, goes out and he gives a speech or writes a column, that's the one I'm referring to, and it turns out he's guilty of plagiarism. He couldn't even write his own column. And here he says, I'm drafting my letter on thoughts on Canada 150. A mistake was made by which ideas that were expressed by someone else were not given proper credit. Do you know why? 
because it never occurred to him. He didn't he 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 it never occurred to him that you have to honor and recognize somebody else's work. You just can't steal it as your own. And the only reason he's doing this now is because he got caught. And I'm telling you, folks, this kind of stuff is enough to make a, a grown man cry. How how can we take these people? How can we take this guy seriously? You know, I I know it's not going to happen. But if in a perfect world, he'd get bounced, he would be shamed into resigning. Not only for his plagiarism, but for his whole attitude. That Canada's a terrible place, and oh, by the way, pass me my paycheck, I want to go and cash it. It's so ungrateful. It's so arrogant. It's so... I'm running out of so's here. (sighs) All right. Anyway, so this kind of stuff is enough to... It's what makes me nuts about this because not only is he a whiner and a complainer and an ingrate, he's a plagiarizer. (sighs) And this is kind of the stuff that he says. You see, for us, nearly everything around us represents colonial domination and genocide and is example. And is an example of indigenous resiliency. No, 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 no. First of all, colonial domination and colonization is what's keeping you from freezing to death in the wintertime. We're all going to live under imperialism of one form or another. And that includes uh, good old-fashioned white guys like me. We all live under some form of imperialism. Either Western, mostly British imperialism... Islamic imperialism or communist imperialism. One of those three. Guess which one you have the most freedom under? Well, it isn't the last two. So complain away all you want, buddy. But you know what? It's just don't be surprised that people really get bent out of shape when that kind of thing happens. When you come out and say stuff like that, people just... You're not helping your cause is I guess the way to put it. You're just not helping your cause. And it's, an, it's you know, this is why people get so frustrated with this kind of stuff when it happens. There's no intent. There's no, like, you have all kinds of problems on reserves. You've got alcoholism, teenage pregnancy, miserable living conditions. And again, it's not every reserve, nor is every native this way. I'm not suggesting that for a second. There are literally thousands, tens of thousands of them who say, I don't want no reserve life like that. And they go off and they integrate into society and they teach their kids their culture at home, just like the Poles do, just like the Irish do, just like everybody else does. We're not saying the culture has no value. But it's not a sacred cow, or at least it shouldn't be. And you, by the way, they're not indigenous. This drove me crazy. There's no such thing in North America as indigenous populations. Everybody comes from immigrants, including the native population. They just happen to get here first. All right. I need to take a break, play some commercials, so I'll be right back with more after this. Stick around, won't you? CEO. 
CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Can't buy me love, love, can't buy me love. I'll buy you down the ring, my friend, if the makes you feel all right. I'll get you anything, my friend, if the makes you feel all right. I'm not a huge Beatle fan, but you can't help liking that. You can't help not liking that, or you can't help it but like that song, which is what I was trying to say. All right, now, B.C. has fallen into the socialistic, progressive morass. And there are a few people out there who actually think it's a good thing. I had a, there's been a long debate on Facebook about this. I've got some left-leaning friends. Actually, there's one fellow by the name of Lou who I have a grudging respect for. Uh, He and I disagree vehemently on pretty much everything. But in his case, at least there's intelligence behind his arguments. It's not just, you know, um, he's a flaming lefty, but he's not a flaming loony lefty. How's that? Like, I can can respect somebody who who doesn't have the same point of view as I do. And Lou and I will often get into it hammer and tong, but at the end of the night or the end of the day, you know, there's no hard feelings. It's a political discussion. It's not a personal one. Uh, and he's been thinking this is a great idea, and I couldn't disagree with him more, but that's not surprising. Anyway, there is a paragraph out of this story. This this is from the CBC, dated January June January June twenty ninth. So it's just a few days old. Now there's a paragraph. This is the 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 government of BC uh, is now going to be headed by NDP leader John Horgan. Uh, he will be the next P, uh, premier of BC. There's a paragraph in this story I want to read to you because in in this paragraph, it sums up everything that's wrong. Okay? He says this, I look forward to working harder than I've ever worked before to make sure this great province continues to grow and that the prosperity that we all want to see for ourselves, we can make sure we share that that prosperity with others. All right. Now, it sounds wonderful. Like, who could argue with that? We all want to be prosperous, right? Yeah, well, yeah, we all. I, I, I want us all to be millionaires. Although that would cheapen mil- being a millionaire because then it'd be like everybody being broke. Uh, you just have expenses at higher levels. But the point is, I want everybody to be successful. You know, I don't think that social programs are the route to success. And while money doesn't buy happiness, poverty sucks. Okay, there's there's <laughs> there's nothing happy about being broke either. So if you're going to be miserable, at least have some money in the bank while you're being miserable. So that's kind of my attitude about it. But So here's what's wrong. Let me break that down for you. The problem with that sentence, okay, is 
once you understand who is saying it and what they believe in, now it takes on an ominous tone because he says, I'm going to work harder than I've ever worked before. Okay, you're not exactly new to politics, so you're telling me now that you weren't working all that hard to begin with? That's one. Number two, um, that the prosperity we all want to see for ourselves, we can make sure we share that prosperity with others. That, when I listen to it coming from someone from the left, a progressive or a member of the NDP, is called wealth distribution. Because wealth is not shared equally. It's shared basis. It's shared. Wealth is created through hard work, persistence, determination, and the sweat of your brow. And some people are willing to pay that price and some aren't. So somebody who pays the price to become successful, why should they share it? You know, why should they? I'm not saying they shouldn't pay taxes or anything, but why should they allow the government to come in and take huge swaths of their money and give to people who are just, you know, not nearly as inspired and, and obviously don't want the same kind of a lifestyle for themselves. Now, I'm speaking in vast general terms. All right. Don't think for a moment that I'm going, well, all you lefties are just a bunch of lazy coots. No, I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that wealth distribution is a bad idea when it's done through the government. They're the worst arbiters of who should get what. Wealth distribution is best done by people who have money, giving it to organizations that are charities, who can deal with situations on the ground in the local community where you can account for the money and you can see the results. So when somebody is, uh, you know, very well healed or well-to-do, they want to help a, a soup kitchen or they want to do something. Because believe it or not, people with money, it's not that they don't care. Of course they care. They're human beings. Okay? They just happen to have a fatter bank account than I do. So if they see a need and they go to fill it, what's the best way to do that? Write your local charity a check? Or let the government take a huge swath of your wealth and then dole it out to the people that you may not want not you might not want to get it. Like I don't want organizations like Greenpeace or World Wildlife Fund or anybody like that getting anything. I don't want them to get a penny. Personally, I don't want pro-choice organizations getting any of my money. I want to go to pro-life. Now, that's me. But see the difference is you can decide where your money goes, what hospitals you support, what charities you support, what causes you believe in, those kinds of things. That's the kind of stuff that we, that, that, that's the best way to administer, if you want to call it redistribution of wealth, I would call it stewardship. I would call it, uh, you know, being a good neighbor, um, looking after those who are in need. Phrase it any way you want to. But that's how we used to do it. The government didn't always run this stuff. And have you ever noticed, like back in the 1960s, when we first had the beginning of the sexual revolution, we had a massive increase in teen, teen pregnancies. So the government stepped in and said, look, we're going to set a program. We're going to take care of this. We're going to solve this. We're going to set up programs and education and all that stuff. Considering the amount of money that they spent on that since the 1960s, you know, there shouldn't be an unwanted baby in the country. And yet, is it still a problem? Absolutely. 
Absolutely it is. If you doubt it, why is abortion so popular? So the point I'm making is every time the government gets involved and takes over something we should be doing ourselves, they do a lousy job of it, and it ends up perpetuating the problem, not solving it. Because this whole thing is driven as an industry, okay? The victim industry. Because once you have a government department looking after it, you now have bureaucrats with a vested interest in making sure the problem never gets solved. Because if it does, they're out of a job. If it's volunteers, right, if you have, let's say, the Kiwanis Club or the Knights of Columbus or, the, or the, uh, uh, let's say, the Rotary Club or whoever it is, whatever charity organization or service club you want to mention, I don't care which one, if they're doing it, they don't have all the built-in infrastructure. They don't have uh, middle management that has to, you know, you, you don't. There's all that nonsense and cost that doesn't get caught up in it. And that's the best way to deal with this. But that's not the way the government does stuff. So when it comes to that kind of thing, that's what's wrong with this whole paragraph about how when he talks about we want to make sure that they all uh, share in the prosperity with others. That means taking out of, uh, you know, uh, taking out of one pocket from over here where somebody's working on it, work, has worked hard for it, and giving it to someone or some organization that maybe hasn't worked as hard or is going to do things with it the guy you took it from wouldn't support otherwise. And that's what's wrong with this. And that's one of the reasons why socialism or progressivism fails every single time. Because it does not allow freedom. It is done by coercion. Because if you don't pay your taxes, which is where a lot of this money comes from to run these programs, you go to jail. It, it happens at the point of a gun. And socialism can't exist any other way. All right. Let me take a, where are we? Oh, man, already? Wow. All right. I need to do another couple commercials. We'll be right back. And we'll have more right after this. Taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make them smile. EMM Group is the authorized Integrispec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integrispec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integrispec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Helps if I turn my microphone back on. All right. Now, let's see what else we have here in the cookie jar. <laughs> Excuse me. 
I gotta laugh. These people just okay. <sighs> Switching to the United States for a minute, and believe me, we got more Canadian content coming up. But this just gets more and more ridiculous all the time. You know, look, whether you like Donald Trump or not, you must admit he is not mentally incapacitated. He might not be a classic statement, states, statesman in the style of Kennedy or, you know, any of the other great world leaders that you care to name. But he's not a stupid man. He's, you know, obviously been very successful in businesses, in business. Yes, he has had his, his uh, shortfalls and failings in that, but uh, there's not many businessmen out there who haven't had trouble sometime in the past. And when you reach his level of success, there's plenty of that around. There's lots of people who take issue with Mr. Trump, and that's fine. But the point is he's not incapacitated mentally. Anyway, so here, listen to this. And talk about you better be careful what you ask for. Two dozen Democrats get behind a bill to lay, foundation, lay the foundation for removing Trump for being mentally incapacitated, but they're going to need Mike Pence to agree. Now stop for a second. Let's assume for a moment that you think, okay, Trump is a disaster, so let's get rid of him. Who's president then? Mr. Pence. Do you think Pence isn't a polished politician? Do you think that Pence isn't it, it would be easier to handle? Uh, you know that you could um, somehow manipulate Mr. Pence into being the kind of president the Democrats want. No, you better be careful what you ask for. Apparently, the 25th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution allows Congress to set up a medical commission that could de determine if a president is fit for office. The president's cabinet is also allowed to serve that purpose, but Congress has never established its own group to participate. Either panel would require the vice president to agree before Congress could vote to remove the president. Anyway, this goes on and on and on, but the bottom line is they just can't get over the fact that Donald Trump is the president of the United States, and all things being equal, he's not really doing that bad a job. There's lots of stuff he could do better, no doubt about it. But here's an example, okay? And I just, when I read this, I just jumped for joy. As much as $600 million U.S. will be cut from the United Nations peacekeeping budget. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley celebrated cuts on Twitter. Just five months into, into our time here, we've cut over half a billion dollars from the U.N. peacekeeping budget, and we're only getting started. Hallelujah! If there's one thing that needs to happen to that organization... Having his budget cut to almost zero is probably the best thing that could happen to the world. I don't care about the U.N., but these guys, they couldn't run a wheelbarrow. Everything they touch turns to mud. So way to go is all I can say. That's just that's some of the best news. The story's longer than that, but I didn't want to belabor the point. Um, just wow. <laughs> so all he has to do, if he can get the United States out of the U.N., He's got them out of the Paris Accord, which is a joke to begin with. Then I think he's going to do just, he's going to be a successful president in my eyes. All right. Now, let's see. One of the things that I have been scratching my head about for a long time now is why we keep selling hydro to our American cousins to the south, which compete with us for industry and manufacturing jobs. And they do. There's no doubt about it. I mean, if, if you're 
wacko widget manufacturing and you're looking at settling in Stratford or in um, Pens- not Pensacola, uh, let's say Toledo, Ohio, and, uh, Pen- and Stratford says our hydro rates are 11 cents a kilowatt hour and uh, Toledo says, well, down here they're only 3.6 and the labor's not as high, taxes are not as high. You know, we don't, uh, we're business friendly. We're open for business. Come on down here. We'll give you 10 years tax free. What's Stratford going to do? They have no control over their hydro rates. So if you were wacko widget company, where would you go? So why am I mentioning this? Because a U.S. energy uh, firm, sorry, U.S. energy firm wins a National Energy Board okay for a $1 billion cross-border power line under Lake Erie. So it's going to run from, I can't see the name of town. It's uh, near, it's north of Erie uh, between Erie and um, uh, the Niagara River, the, the mouth of the Niagara River there. The map's not very good. I can't quite make out the name. doesn't matter. So it's going to cross the lake, and it'll be about 100 miles long. Um, and it's going to carry, how much is it going to carry? 1,000 kilovolts? Anyway, it's a great big, they call it a super highway for electricity. Now, it, let's see. It would be a Lake Erie first, allowing Ontario to both export power to 13 American states and import it. One export expert likens it to an international highway for electricity. A $1 billion high-voltage power line running under Lake Erie farther than the distance between London and Kitchener is one step closer to reality following approval by Canada's energy regulator. After nearly two years of review, Michigan-based ITC, a private energy company, has won approval for the National Energy Board to build a 100-mile two-way transmission line between Nanticoke on southwest... That was the name I couldn't quite make out. Nanticoke on southwest Ontario's Lake Erie Shore and Erie, Pennsylvania, across the lake. We've cleared the hurdles on the major milestones, said Terry Harville, president of ITC Grid Development. So, okay, let me talk... Let me mention this for a minute. Um, if you think about it, what do you think the chances are that the Americans are going to sell us hydro, of which we already have too much of? Now, it's not going to come online for another four years. 2020, I think, is, is the start date. Oh, three years. Um, so it'll be three years before we see any of this juice going across the, the lake. But the problem with that is this. That assumes that the Americans would ever be wanting to um, wanting to sell us hydro, uh, you know, at a rate. They're just not going to do it. It's not going to work that way. Okay, hang on a second. I've got a little technical thing to do here. Try that. Try that. Okay. Um, but the the hydro is only going to go one way. And we're going to pay the Americans less than cost to take that hydro. And now they've got a super highway to take it. They don't even have to do it the old-fashioned way with high-tension wires or however, you know, at land crossings. How does this make sense? Wouldn't you rather say, would, would, if you really cared about the economy in, in Ontario, wouldn't it make sense to try to bring the cost of Ontario's hydro down so that we can compete with the Americans for business and manufacturing where the real wealth is created by making us more competitive instead of driving business away. 
Now, they try to dress it up and say, oh, this is just an example of the green energy economy we've all been talking about. Not if we lose money every time we do it. I'm not convinced this is going to work at all. (sighs) I'm telling you, some days these people just really get under my skin. All right. Now, there's another story, and this one falls back, coming back across the river or across the border into Canada. You know, it's funny how sometimes uh, reporters and, and news papers miss the story or at least slant it in a way uh, that suits them. This is from the Metro newspaper, and the headline is Men Who Disrupted Micmac Ceremony in Halifax Linked to the Navy. All right. And they talk about five, five guys who turned out to be sailors who were upset at a protest in front of the statue of Lord Cornwallis in Halifax um, by some natives who didn't like the atrocities committed against people uh, of indigenous background and um, decided one of them was going to shave her head, Chief Grizzly Mama. Uh, so these guys got upset. They carried an old Union Jack, uh, uh, the old Red Ensign, and, uh, you know, voiced their opinion. Now, in the military, you're not allowed to do that. Okay, you don't have the freedom to engage in political protest. Now, they didn't do it in uniform, but that's not the point. You're not allowed to do that. So once it's been confirmed, and I've read a story that says it has been, that these guys who interrupted this ceremony, I put that in quotes, um, were not, um, will be censured by, sanctioned by the Navy for doing that. They will be punished. Okay, but that's not what's important about the story. Like, who cares? The Navy will deal with this. These guys will be will be punished according to what their sins are. The Navy has a pretty high standard about this stuff, and they won't take it lightly. I can tell you that from personal experience. Okay? But what is the story is another one of these situations where white man guilt is being played, and we have to... This, this grizzly mama isn't even from Nova Scotia. She's from B.C. Okay, anyway, so let me dive into the story here. Organizer Rebecca Moore says dozens of people who were gathered around the statue of Edward Cornwallis as Chief Grizzly Mama, who's originally from B.C., shaved her head in a ceremony to mourn. Now, I love the choice of words here. The atrocities committed against indigenous peoples. Atrocities. You know what's an atrocity? The Holocaust is atrocity. Is an atrocity. Pol Pot's killing fields is an atrocity. Stalin's raping of the Ukraine and starving 6 million people to death is an atrocity. We don't have anything like that here in Canada. To put that on the same moral footing as those things I just mentioned is outrageous. They do it on purpose. They do it, you know, I sometimes think they do it just to get people like me riled up, so I'll say something, you know, and they go, oh, you just don't like it. No. As a matter of fact, I think that what we're doing here is we're enabling people uh, to remain in that victim mindset so that they can continue to milk the white man, the white man guilty, the white man guilt cow and keep the cash coming. Because what's this all about? Do you think they really care? If they did, wouldn't they be more accountable with the money and make sure the money they do get goes to the people they need within their own bands and within their own reservations? If they really cared, this is all showboating. This is all for, for you know, public consumption. These people don't believe in this stuff. And if they knew, they're delusional. 
And now they're said that she goes on to say, while we're in ceremony, we're still being oppressed. Oh, so somebody stands up and say, and, and raises and, and voices an op- opposition to what you're doing. And you feel like you're oppressed in a free country. Where freedom of speech is supposed to be the rule of the day. That's what you consider oppression? Go to, the, go to Tehran and tell me about oppression. Go to North Korea and then come back and tell me about oppression. All right, I'm a little overdue for my break, so now's a really great time to take it. I'm going to take a little break here and uh, refill my coffee cup, and I'll be back with more right after we get done. Ha 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 ha! 
All right. Let's see if we've got um, if this can make this any better. You shouldn't be hearing the laptop mic. Um, let's see. If that's the case, then I'll just uh, I'll pull the cord and do it the way we're doing it. So the laptop mic will pick this up, and I've got the boom mic for the folks online. By the way, the numbers are three four three seven hundred four three nine zero eight four four five six two four seven six six. Uh, you can also send me a note at nick at night at late night council dot com. You can also send me a message as these folks are doing on Facebook. Um, I'm not sure how that's uh, how it's all going to play out, but we'll see how it goes, and we will continue to make adjustments until we finally get this thing hammered out. Boy, I'll tell you, it'd be nice if I was technically savvy, but uh, unfortunately for you folks, I'm not. All right, now let me kick off the, the next hour with this. You know that Governor General Johnston, who for the most part I think has done a pretty good job uh, with um, uh, with his duties as Governor General. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> excuse me. All right. Anyway, he's done a pretty good job, but that ends in September. And part of the reason why Justin dropped in on the Queen wasn't because he thought it'd be a nice time to go to Buckingham Palace for a cup of tea. Uh, but it was because he had to dis- tell her who he wanted for Governor's General. Now, i got to be honest. With everything that's been going on, I am terrified about who he's going to pick. <sighs> I have no idea who he's going to pick. Is he going to pull the uh, Paul Martin routine, see somebody on TV and go, her, I want her. Remember that? That's how he picked Michelle Jean. Now, he got lucky. He got lucky because she turned out to be a pretty good governor's general. In spite of the fact she was a, she was a, um, she was a, sh- a host for CBC. Was it, it wasn't as it happens. It was something about I. I forget what it was called. Anyway, she turned out to be a pretty good governor's general. The vets didn't like her at first. I'll tell you, they turned her back on her um, because they didn't like the process. They didn't think she was qualified. But after her four-year tenure was over, it was pretty clear she had done, you know, at least a reasonable job. Now, that means we need a new one because now Johnson's just about done. And I think he's been uh, a respectable governor's general as well. I, the one thing about the only downside to the night at Riedel Hall that we went through, my wife and I, was he stood on that platform and he said, I acknowledge that this land is Algonquin land. No, Mr. Governor's General, it is not. Your Excellency, I'm sorry, it is Canadian land by right of conquest, which is the same way every country takes, holds, and owns land. And that's historically the way it's always been. The natives did it that way. Everybody does it that way. What do you think's going on with uh, Crimea over in Russia, or in in the um, yeah in the Crimea? Was Sevastopol and uh, the Crimea? I'm trying to think of that area. The name of it in the Balkans, there in the Black Sea. Anyway, he took the Crimea, and no one's bothered to throw him out. So he owns it. It's not part of the Ukraine anymore. It's now Russian territory. So unless the Ukrainians want to go in and throw them out militarily, it's now Russian territory. That's the way these things are done. 
and we have solved that problem a long time ago. But he stood up and said what he said. Other than that, we have to pick. So that's about one of the few bones of contention I would have with him. Other than that, we have to now consider who do we want as our governor's general. If it was me, if I could pick absolutely anybody, I would pick Don Cherry in a heartbeat. I know he's older, and somebody because somebody else said Walter Walter Gretzky, and somebody on Facebook. I'm referring to conversations on Facebook. Somebody said, "Well, they're kind of old." I said, "Better old than stupid," because a lot of the other choices. They're, they're actually, Rick Hansen, I think, would be a, probably a pretty good one. Um, but as far there's a lot of other choices, I am not interested in. Well, let me just give you an idea of, uh, let's see, there's a piece uh, over on Bork.com where I got this, and I'll share this with you. It is argu- arguably the most exclusive list of Canadians ever, the governor's generals past and present. In fact, a list that's only been added to just 10 times in the last half century. But tongues are wagging this week in the nation's capital as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau visits Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth in London and recommending uh, who should be um, selected. Some names quickly dismissed. Others pondered to the point of decision one way or another. Among them, yes, it can be revealed, are the following notable fellow citizens. First on the list, Inuit singer Susan Aglukark, human rights icon Louise Arbor, hockey legend Wayne Gretzky, uh, funny bone Rick Mercer, no, I don't think so, Olympian Clara Hughes, among others, bon vivant political rascal Dominic LeBanc too. Is surmised here was surmised here a month ago. PMO insider whispers suggest the lock is on for him. An idealist, anyway, goes on. But uh, I think if I had to choose absolutely anybody, Rick Hansen gets my nod. Uh, other than say, because I the reason I'm not saying Don Cherry is because there isn't a snowball's chance in a blast furnace that Don Cherry is actually going to get selected by Justin Trudeau for. Um, uh, Governor's General. You know who, speaking of Don Cherry, you know who else might be considered and would probably do a pretty good job? And don't laugh at me when I say this. Well, if you want to laugh, go ahead. I don't care. Um, Ron McLean. He's relatively young. He's very bright. He's fast on his feet. you got to be after doing that many years with um, Don Cherry and a coach's corner. But I've always liked him. And I thought that he... Um, I thought that he would do, or I think he would do a reasonable job. Uh, certainly, no worse than than Michel Jean, um, because he he's there's something about him, like he's the kind of guy I would like to sit down with and have a coffee with, and just talk to. You know, there's certain he doesn't come across as an elite, if I can put it that way. At least to me. Now, maybe you guys are all go- out there going, "You're out of your mind, man." He's the last guy I want. Well, there's a lot, of, a lot of other last guys. Uh, can you imagine Sven Robinson? No, 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 no. If you if you don't know who he is, don't worry. Um, I think in a perfect world would be Don Cherry, hands down. Uh, other than that, Major Lou McKenzie, actually Lewis McKenzie. Now that retired, he's re- retired Major General, uh, would be an excellent choice. And for that matter, probably Romeo Dallaire. We haven't had. I, I'm trying to think back. Um, who the last military man we had as governor's general? Was it Vanier? Was it back that far? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. But um, 
So either those gentlemen might work. Um, I th- I would let's put it this way: I would not have a problem with either one of them, because not only um, are they you know highly intelligent, highly educated men who understand history, they understand the role that they'd be asked to play. Uh, they could pull it off. Now, Lou is Mr. McKenzie is I'm going to guess in his mid seventies, but. Um, uh, Mid seventies uh, by now, and to, to answer a question on Facebook, and someone says, "Is there anyone from Quebec?" Yeah, Romeo Lair, I believe, is is uh, from the province of Quebec. Um, see, to me, it, it it it's the qualities that matter, not the origin where they come from. But in this case, they these guy these two guys could do could pull that job off really well. Who I'm afraid of is some. Uh, you know, left-wing loony, um, liberal-friendly type who has no interest in the crown, no interest in the office, and only wants to use it as a platform to further their own agenda. I don't want to see the office cheapened. So um, it's going to be uh, a very interesting choice. And I do not trust this government or this prime minister to get that right. I'm really nervous about that. Um, so I'm just curious if you want to send me a note on Facebook here, uh, by all means, if you want to call me three, four, three, seven, zero, zero, 4390, whoever you think would be a good man, a good man or woman for the job, because we've certainly had women before. Uh, that's not a problem. Uh, who do you think would make a, a good governor's general? What about Rona Ambrose? There's a thought. Smart. You know, um, well versed in politics, and she is uh, certainly. Um, I think she wouldn't do a bad job. Now she'll never get picked. Not by this guy. Not by this government. Um, but that's an interesting thought, Rona Ambrose. So, what do you guys think? Would she make a good governor's general? Now, like I said, Trudeau's not going to pick her. But I'm just thinking about. Uh, I'm just thinking about this. The only downside is who the prime minister is. But she she has retired from politics and she's moving on to um, um, she's moving on to private life. But you know what? Governor's general is not a job you get offered more than once, and only very few people ever get offered it at all. So she probably could be tempted. So anyway, that's a cho- that is a, a a choice. Rick Hillier is another one that comes to mind. He's now running a, a university in Newfoundland, I think, and I think he'd do a good job too. I always did like Rick. So there's there's a bunch of different choices out there. I'm just curious to and some of the other ones in there, like Wayne Gretzky. Well, I don't know. I think you know what. And no disrespect to, to Wayne, he's certainly, you know, the second best hockey player ever to put on skates. But is being good at hockey the kind of qualification you want as your governor's general? Because remember who they are. Not only are they head are they the head of the government here in Canada as the Queen's representative, but they're also the head of the military. They are the commander in chief of the Canadian Armed Forces. It's not the Prime Minister. Now, mind you, he doesn't actually give orders and, you know, go out and, and run the military. It's a symbolic thing. But symbolism has its place and should be respected. 
So I'm just curious. Um, nah, I, I you know if I was going to pick somebody, I would probably at least this time around lean toward either Rona Ambrose or Hillier or um, Dallaire or um, Mackenzie. Make it somebody who who's worn the uniform and understands the importance of the role um, better than a lot of other people. And I wouldn't be I wouldn't have a problem with Rick Hansen either for that matter. Um, seems to me he was an Air Force. Uh, pilot at one point, but he was a, was he not? I think he was an astronaut, or even what was the name of the last one that went up? Played the guitar in space. It's been a big hit with kids. Um, darn it, Hatfield, Chris Hatfield. That's right. So he'd be another one. And and again, in those two last cases, it's not because they were in the military that I would choose them. It's because I think they would have a certain uh, appeal because they're not, you know, they're not 95. Uh, you know, they're not, when I say they're not old, it, it means that there's a certain appeal to the younger set in the country. I think it would create excitement around uh, the governor's general uh, position and help people understand the role that that position plays within our culture. Because I think that it's uh, our British roots have been far too long ignored or trampled on, or tried to be erased. And which is why I don't think that uh, our Prime Minister is going to actually do any picking of anybody who would be interested in doing that. And that's tragic, because he's putting politics ahead of a very important symbolic position. But then again, remember who we're talking about. Okay, I'll be back in a second. You guys stick around. I'll be right back after this. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches. But fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make them smile. Ron Barr, general manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. You know, sometimes I wish I'd been a music DJ, although my taste in music probably wouldn't get broadcast all that far. <laughs> although I must admit, that 1970s rock and roll 
you know, with bands like Queen and Sticks and Supertramp and, and um, Chicago and, and um, Kansas and uh, Steve Miller Band and all these those guys, to me, um, that was uh, the epitome, I think, of uh, what I would call rock and roll. Because the stuff that came out after that, I think, this is just my personal opinion, but music in the 80s and 90s just sucked. And there's been a bit of a resurgence to some good. My kids have been playing some stuff. A lot of it I just flat don't like because I'm getting old and miserable. But uh, some of the stuff, uh, there's some stuff out there by Blind Guardian, I think, is a band that the kids like. That When I say the kids, I'm talking about mine. Um, there's a couple of interesting. There's one band that does a lot of uh, take history and put it to... Um, um, put his music and there's one about the execution of a king and I'm trying to um, remember the title of it but it's really very well done I really like it and uh, if I ever find it maybe I'll play if I ever think of it maybe I'll play a little clip of it but boy it's it's quite good so there is some good music out there but for the most part today's music is nothing but cookie cutter stuff that comes out of Nashville or Los Angeles and it's the same set of the same beat different lyrics but pretty much one singer sounds like the other. There's no originality anymore. Like, when I'm, again, I make it sound like, you know, times are perfect when I was young, but no, of course not. There was a lot of crap music back then, too, but there was a lot of originality, and that's why there was crap music, because some of that original stuff stunk. I remember a, a country artist that I just can't, couldn't stand. His name was Marvell Feltz, and I used to call him Eagle Nose Witchface because <laughs> he was ugly as sin with a great big honker on him. And he sounded awful, absolutely awful. The last thing the guy should have ever done was step into a recording studio. Okay, and then there was another uh, group called the Kendalls. Um, it was a father and, and son, or father and daughter team, and they did a song about adultery called Heaven's Just a Sin Away. Boy, was that creepy. I mean, that was just weird. But at the same time, there was some great stuff out there. Uh, you know, by some of the bands I've already mentioned, and some of there's a bunch of others, Rush, and, and uh, you know, you had on the countryside, you had people like Conway Twitty, which was, you might laugh at, at the name, but the man could sing. He was a great storyteller. You had all kinds of Charlie Pride, and, and uh, a real storyteller was one of my favorites, Don Williams. And then, you know, so it was, there was this whole mosaic, and each act was totally different, at least different enough that what didn't take long. Like if you hear Boston, Right, you're familiar with that uh, more than a feeling, and um, uh, I'm trying to think of the. If you listen to two Boston songs, you've heard them all, but um, they're very distinct sound. Twin twin steel guitars, um, that kind of thing, and they had a very unique sound. Meatloaf was another one had very distinct sound, and I have no idea why I'm even talking about this because probably because that uh, that last clip I kind of like that song. Uh, there was always, if you got tired of you know one style of music or one one uh, expression of music, you could always go and find another band that was different. Like, look at the difference between a band like um, Styx and a band like, uh, let's say, um, uh, Foreigner. Okay, two completely different bands. Styx was an incredible band. Uh, James Young could sing like a bird. That, but if you looked at the stories, like take um, Far Beyond These Castle Walls, and if you don't, uh, yes, Boston is a good band. I mean, somebody's having some fun with me here. But um, the point is, if you listen to that song by Styx, I believe it's on Grand Illusion, or it's on um, the one with Boat on the River on it. I'm trying to remember the name of the album. Uh, Cornerstone. Um, it's a whole story 
that your imagination can just run wild with. Queen was another band. My all-time favorite rock and roll band is Queen. And if you listen to songs like uh, Good Old Fashioned Lover, we'll talk about diverse, everything from uh, um, Hammer to Fall to Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy, they had it all. And it was all about the story. Take uh, The Year 39 by the same band, by Queen. That song was inspired by a painting. And the story, and this took me years to figure out, and I'm going to get back to the news here in a minute, but I'm on a roll. Um, the, sto- the song 39, if you listen to it, it doesn't ma- seem to make any sense. Like there's a line in it that says, from your, eye, from your eyes, your mother's eyes cry to me. Okay, and the chorus talks about, um, don't you hear my call, though I'm many years away, don't you hear me calling you? Um, though I'm many, though I've older but a year. Anyway, it talks about, He's only older than a year, but there's this century or so, and it's about a painting where the the um, people explore, go off on a on an exploratory trip into space, and they're only gone for a year in their time. But when they get back to Earth, a whole century has passed. Everybody they know is dead, so all that's left is their grandchildren. That's what they mean by the line "in the land that our grandchildren knew." Okay, it's it's this whole century's passed. Everybody, these people, and until I understood that, I never got the song. I liked it. I liked twelve string guitar. Brian May's an amazing guitarist, but boy, all of a sudden, this whole new idea opens up to you once you understand the reasons behind it. And the music of that era was like that. Today, oh my God, it's just you listen to some of the pop stuff the kids are listening to, and it's like there's nothing but beat. There's nothing that the lyrics are disgusting in a lot of cases, and it's just. There's no, there's no soul to it. There's nothing about it that's appealing. There's nothing about it that says, listen to me. You know, like for me, one of the te- acid tests of music is can you sing along with it? Whether you're a good or a bad singer is not the point. If the lead singer can't sing and you can't sing along with it, then it's not worth listening to. Okay, and I, I have a friend of mine, like I hate the Rolling Stones. I absolutely hate them, and I hate them not because they're no good, because I can't stand Mick Jagger's voice. The band is the showcase for the voice. That's why I love Queen. Freddie Mercury had an incredible voice. So anyway, I'm rambling on, but I just, when I listened to that clip, it just got me on a roll. Um, So we'll get back to more serious stuff. But you know something? There's One of the best things that ever happened to music is a video game, and it's it's called um, uh, Rock. Was was it was? I'm trying to get the name now. Um, where the kids bought a plastic guitar and they played along with all these '70s hits, and they know more '70s music now than I did. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Oh, it's driving it's driving me crazy now. But anyway, they they took this this video game and they learned the lyrics and the music. And it opened up a whole new genre of music for them that would have normally passed them by to the point where my 23-year-old son is such a devout Rush fan that he goes crazy when anybody tries to tell him there's a better band. He just loses it. You know, he'll argue with me all day long that Rush is a better band than Queen. And I say, yes, son, yes, of course. And I pat him on the head and, you know, whatever you want. Rockstar. Is it Rockstar? I, no, I'm not sure that's right. Guitar Hero. That's it. Guitar Hero. See, that's why I like you guys out there. Somebody just let me know. Uh, thank you, Anthony. I appreciate that. Um, or no, Mar- Marilyn. Sorry. Marilyn was the one who told me that. 
Anyway, so back to the more important stuff. There's this attitude. Now, this tells you everything you need to know, but you've heard the story about the closing of the gender gap, like how much money men make versus women. And the, the, the battle cry from the progressives is, oh, it's not fair because women don't make as much money as men. <sighs> I don't know how many times this has to be refuted. That's just simply not true. If their incomes are lower, it's because of the choices they make. Like Ben Shapiro, plays, go online, go to YouTube, go to ben, look up Ben Shapiro and the gender gap or the wage gap, whatever you want to call it, and listen to his explanation. He does a much better job of it than I can. But basically it boils down to the choices that men and women make in the workforce. Like men don't, well, until recently, don't traditionally take maternity leave when you know there's a pregnancy in the family. I know that that's, that's true in a lot of cases now, but... That's only in the last couple of years or so that that's become popular. You know, they say, well, there's not enough women executives. Maybe that's because there's not enough women who want to be executives or don't have the right skill set. I'm not saying that, believe me, I'm the last guy to say that women aren't smart. You know, I've been, I spent the first part of the show talking about a woman a lot smarter than I am. I'm married to her. So the whole point I'm making is this, this, this idea about this gender gap and the nonsense with it is it comes from the left, and this story comes to us from, guess who, Teamsters Local 362, a union local paper. Well, of course they're going to come out. They're a left-wing organization. Anyway, they come up with this nonsense. Finding a way to close a gender gap is not only good for women in Canada, but also the economy. A new report from McKin- McKinsey Global Institute found that progress in getting more women into manager- managerial positions, entrepreneurship, and the workplace in general could add $150 billion more to, Canadian- to the Canadian economy by 2026. Well, anytime you see an organization that has global in name, it's probably not a conservative organization. Like you notice that the conservative organizations like, oh, uh, the Fraser Institute, don't use the word global. Just as, a, just as a hint. So when you're looking at news organizations and you see the word global, then, uh, then that's a hint. Anyway, they said, they said that better pl- public and private policies could help grow the annual GDP by 0.6%. The report said the effect would be the same as adding a whole new financial sector to the economy. Unfortunately, there are some trends that are rather troubling. Yeah, the question is for Hugh. Who? The major issues is the lack of women in leadership or managerial roles. A study from 2015 found that nearly three-quarters of working Canadian women are in roles below management level. Again, they're not accounting for the choices these women make about their lifestyles. Look, I don't have any problem with women being in leadership positions. Because if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. It's not about the positions they hold. It's not about the gender. It's about the the quality of of the person for the job. It's merit that matters. It's merit. And whoever the best person is for the job should be the one that gets it. And if that happens to be a woman, great. It doesn't bother me. If she happens to be black, white, green, yellow, I don't care. 
I really don't care. The reason I had a problem with Olivia Chong was not because she was of Oriental descent, was because she was a progressive. It was the thing she stood for that bothered me, not her ethnic. What her background is, I'm trying to say ethnicity, and it's not coming out because I can't get my tongue around that word. So it's not about, you know, what they look like or what gender they are. And by they, I'm talking about anybody. It's about the quality of the individual. Do they have the best skills? Then they get the job. If they don't, somebody else gets it. So anyway, this this kind of stuff. And it comes, again, it comes from the whole, this is from the Teamsters. Uh, like I said before, it's uh, the Teamsters Local 362. It's their newsletter or something like that. And again, it, it's... It's designed, this article is written to make it sound terrible, that this thing is horrible, and we have to fix this problem. If we want to add $150 billion, you want to add $150 billion to the economy? Here's how you do it. You take an axe, you walk over to the tax code, and you swing that thing until there's about nine-tenths of it gone. You'd add a lot more than $150 billion to the economy if you just cut taxes and control spending. That's how you that's how you put money back in the economy. You don't take it out in the first place. This 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 kind of progressive mindset is enough to drive me crazy. Ethnicity. Thank you, Marilyn. Thank you. I was having trouble spitting that word out. Oh boy. I like my Facebook crowd. I like my listeners. They're great. They give instant feedback whether I need it or not. In this case, boy, did I need it. All right, now, there's something else in the news that is bothering me, and I'll get to it right after this break. You stick around. We'll be right back with more. CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. Okay, there we go. Okay, now, the story I'm referring to comes from LifeSite News and is troubling. And the reason it's troubling is because it doesn't make, I can't make sense out of it from either, from any perspective. This just doesn't make any sense. Story is headlined, Trudeau government wants to remove Canada's only federal law protecting freedom of worship. Okay, this is from the June 29th. A conservative MP is raising the alarm that Justin Trudeau 
Justin Trudeau's liberal government is quietly expunging the only section of the criminal code that directly protects the right of individuals to practice their religion. Saskatchewan MP David Anderson says Bill C-51, which according to a liberal backgrounder, is intended to clear obsolete, redundant, or unconstitutional sections from the criminal code, as well as strengthen sexual assault laws, contains a startling clause to drop Section 176. I think it's just very strange this would be removed, the MP from Cypress Hills Grasslands told LifeSite News, particularly at this time when clergymen, ministers, and imams seem to be under more threats than they ever have been in Canada. Why would we be removing the only provision we can find that actually protects both religious services, observances, and clergymen? Moreover, I understand the person who ran into the Basilica in Ottawa and smashed the statue of Christ was actually charged under this provision. She she broke the left arm, left broken arm off the off the crucifix. Section 176 declares that anyone who by force or threat obstructs, interferes, or prevents by a minister or clergyman from celebrating divine service or performing any other function in connection with his calling or assaults offers violence to him or arrests him on a civil process when he's going or returning from performing a religious function is guilty of an indictable offense and could be jailed up up to two years. And the article goes on, but I'm scratching my head over this. I'm thinking, why? Like, it, it, look, it, it, if you want to make the argument that the um, government's trying to protect Islam. Why would you remove this? Wouldn't this be a clause you could use if anybody were to react, uh, you know, uh, with an appraisal um, through a reprisal for perceived injuries caused by Islam against a mosque or an imam? That's the very law you would use, isn't it? If you want to say, well, they want it, they're just, they just, you know, uh, Maybe they don't like all religions. They just want to get rid of religion altogether. Then how do you explain um, Justin Trudeau bending over backwards in the case of Islam? The, the, no matter how you look at this, there just doesn't seem to be any common sense, any never mind common sense, any sense at all. The removal of this law flies in the face of no... of of. Um, <sighs> It flies in the face of what anyone else would say is is logical. There, there's I, I see no no advantage for them from any direction for removing this particular law, and yet here it is. They're trying to scrap that very. And the thing is, with a with a um, minister with a um, majority government, they have no problem doing it. It's obviously not going to stop them, but. I just can't get my head around this. If you have any ideas about this, you can give me a call at 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766. Uh, da -da -da -da. Oh, you can send me a note here. Um, you can send me a note at Facebook. Um, and I was going to switch to another story because I'm like that. Uh, it's time to move on is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Yeah, we'll get rid of that. We did the Lake Erie one, Governor General. Okay, now let's move back south of the border. Remember, everybody, uh, you, if you listen to the news, uh, let me ask you this question. Is CNN completely now beyond saving? It has been 
demonstrated that they are the manufacturer of fake news. They know they're manufacturing fake news. They've been caught a number of times saying that this whole Trump Russia thing, to use a quote for one of the, from one of their anchors, is a nothing burger. They got nothing, but they keep hounding and pounding away on it. Have they discredited themselves so badly that they're no longer worthy of the of the name News Network? Just curious what you think of that. I certainly do. I think they've they've done so much damage to what reputation they've ever had uh, is now gone. Um, but anyway, the, the whole reason I was bringing that up was because uh, most American vo- voters support the limited travel ban. You know, the thing that uh, that Trump said he wanted to do was put a halt on immigration from six specific countries uh, until they got everything figured out. See, everybody forgets that part of the quote. He didn't shut it down permanently. He was only going to shut it down for 120 days and try to get a handle on who's coming into the country and who isn't. It's like you saying, okay, hold it. We're not letting anybody anybody else in until we fix the front door. Not saying we're not going to let anybody else in. We're going to fix the front door first. So anyway, six in ten American voters supported the new ban on support the new ban on people from six predominantly Muslim countries from entering the United States unless they can show they have a close relative here, according to opinion polls released released on Wednesday. The political the political morning. Consult poll, consult poll found 37% of voters say they strongly supported the new U.S. Department guidelines that would deny visas to citizens citizens of Iran, Libya, Syria, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen who do not have close relatives in the states. Another 23% said they somewhat support the guidelines. Do you think you'd ever hear this on CNN? I don't think so. Anyway, so that just goes to show you that the what's really going on is not being reflected by the mainstream media. You have a, I, I think Trump's support is much broader and much deeper than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, it's tragic that we have to go through this. You know that it's, it's like I, if the press wanted to sincerely question uh, and be honest about questioning the prime the, the president. And in this country, the prime minister, because it's the same thing here. With the, the press has a love affair with this guy, and they don't want to ask him any tough. And maybe part of the reason is because they know they won't, he won't answer them anyway. He's not going to go out and say, okay, here's what's going on. Yes, I took a ride in that helicopter down to that island. Yes, you paid for it. But I'm the prime minister, and I can do that. At least I would have been honest. But no, he dodged and danced. And, you know, he does that. Uh, I think he's down to one day a week now in um, the House of Commons. Um, and even then, half the time, he lets his uh, leader, his party leader in the House, uh, a young lady, stand up and take his uh, punches for him and dodge and weave and, and duck and, and uh, not answer questions. He simply will not answer questions. All he does is give back pap, stupid answers to some pretty pointed questions. And he... It, and politicians make an art of this, by the way. They make an art out of um, of um, talking so long you forget what the question were. And I think it was Trudeau that said, never answer the question you were asked, answer the question you wish you'd been asked. And these guys have it down to an art. And that's true of all parties. But never has it been taken to the art level that these guys have taken it to. All right, quick break. When we come back, I want to tell you about a new poll that's out in Ontario and why it might not all, might not be all that bad. All right, you stick around. We'll be right, at, right back after this. 
Integrispec Distributor for the Greater Ottawa Area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integrispec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integrispec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. All right, final segment straight ahead here, folks. We've got a few more minutes. So I want to tell you about something, and I think it's fair to say they, they, they completely missed uh, a very important aspect of this story. But Ontario survey shows rise in support for liberals a year from the election. They give the reasons for the rise. I don't think that's the, re- the reasons. Uh, anyway, after months of weighty policy shifts, Premier Kathleen Wynne's Ontarians appear to be warming up to their unloved Liberal government, according to a new poll from Innovative Research Group. The long-governing long governing Liberals have trailed the opposite, opposition progressive Conservatives in a number of polls since last summer, but with less than a year before the next provincial election, the gap has been closed and they're almost tied. Excuse me. Uh, let's see. They're almost tied in public support, according to the pollster Greg Lyle. 30% of Ontarians say they would vote PC, compared to 27% said they would vote for the Liberals. Now, uh, let's see. The poll follow, follows a number of feel-good announcements in April and May, which Ms. Wynne announced a tax on foreigners to buy, foreign buyers to cool an overheated housing market, the move to a $15 minimum wage, a balanced budget with a new pharmacare plan, a basic income pilot project, and 25% cut to hydro bills. I don't think that is why there is a rise in... I think what you're seeing is not a rise in support for the Liberals, but a decline in the support for progressive Conservatives. And the reason that is true is this goes back, let's see, it actually starts, uh, I'm just trying to find this, but, oh, here it is. Here's the paragraph that's relevant. Since November, the Liberals-based support has grown, while the number of Ontarians mad at the government has shrunk. No, no, I don't believe that. What happened? Cast your mind back. I wish I had the harp music, you know, to play the harp just to help you transit back into your into your uh, mind and help you understand uh, what happened back in what was what was in the news in November, what started to happen. There was a lot of trouble in Patrick Brown's camp. We started seeing things happen like the Jay Tysick affair with Goldie Gamari. We started to see the Oosterhof, the beginnings of the Oosterhof situation where he won but was 
you know, socially conservative and then got told to shut up and sit down and be a good little boy and don't come out till you're told. Uh, we saw uh, a whole bunch of writings, 10 or 11, that there was all kinds of scandal uh, around the way that nominations were were dealt with in the province of Ontario under the leadership of Patrick Brown. And I think that's what's going on here. And I think that's not necessarily bad because the best possible result, I think, would be as things stand right now, I'm a minority government. I don't care who sits in the throne. In other words, liberal or conservative, it doesn't matter. The trouble is with that, that you have three leaders who all think the same way. Horwath, Brown, and Wynn all think the same way. They think that, uh, you know, carbon taxes are great and that, uh, you know, we're not going to do anything about the sex ed curriculum. And there's no significant difference between um, the listener, or not the listeners, the, the parties uh, amongst the three of them. And I have said this at least a dozen times. If anybody out there can show me a distinct and clear difference on anything, between Patrick, anything substantive between Patrick Brown and Kathleen Wynne, tell me what it is. And no one has been able to do it yet. No one. The reason they can't do it is because there is no difference. Beating Kathleen Wynne, if Patrick Brown beats Kathleen Wynne, then it's a double loss for us. And the reason is because of all the shenanigans that went on uh, to get the nominations done the way Patrick wanted it, wanted them done, with the people he wanted in, regardless who the grassroots wanted, which was all what all of that nonsense was about. If he wins with that in the background, then anybody who objects is going to be told, shut up and sit down, it worked last time, and that's how we're going to do it from now on. I'll decide who the candidates are, because we won. And that's the problem with it. If you think it's tough now to get somebody who isn't a progressive into the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario, wait till after the election. But if they lose, even to a minority liberal government, Patrick Brown and his leadership team are done. And they are going to have to finally face the fact that being progressive isn't going to win. We already have two progressive parties in this province. Adding a third is no way to win. You have to be different. You have to be very clear on the direction you're heading in and what makes you different. You have to lay out some kind. I know you don't want to lay your whole battle plan out, but you have to give people some indication of the direction in which you want to go and why it's better than what the other guy does. You can't just point to the other guy and say, he's terrible, he's terrible, he's terrible, he's terrible, because they all all go, okay, he's terrible. What about you? How are you going to be less terrible? And then stand there and go, well, he's terrible. Yeah, we know that. You told us. But what are you going to do that's different or better? Well, he's terrible. That kind of stuff wears out real fast. And that's what's going on here. Because of people like you and I who have raised a stink about this whole thing, about and I'm not and when I say you and I, I'm not talking about me specifically. I'm talking about people who think like us. It's the Brian Lillies of the world. It's the Jay Tysics of the world. It's the, you know, all the different people who are out there hammering away at this, 
trying to get it through the heads of the leadership of this party that continuing down this path is the road to perdition, that you're snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And even if Patrick Brown wins, we lose. And that's why I say it's just not a good idea to to uh, we're we're really in trouble in this next election if something doesn't change. So the best thing that can happen is a liberal minority and Patrick Brown getting shown the door because he never should have been the leader in the first place, but can't change that either until after the election because that's the way, not that the rules seem to matter much to Patrick Brown, but that's the way the constitution of the party is written. You can't have a leadership review till after the election, after a loss at the election. Anyway, all right. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for tonight, folks. Thank you all very much. It has been a blast. I've had a great time. I certainly uh, enjoyed it, and I hope that you did too. Thank you all very much for participating, whether you're listening online or on Facebook Live. And I had uh, a little surprise for you that didn't quite work out. Just a little bit different twist on the show, a little different uh, feature I was going to add. I'll have that sorted out for next week. And uh, we'll just make the show just that much more interesting and fun to watch and, and participate in. So with that said, I'm going to wish you all good night. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following sea. Of all the money that I had, I spent it in good company. And all the harm I've ever done Alas, it was to none but me And all I've done For want of wit To memory now I can't recall So And drink a health whate'er befalls Then gently rise and softly call Good night and joy be to you all Of all the comrades that it I had They're sorry for my going and all the sweethearts that e'er I had They'd wish me one more day to stay But since it fell into my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll